All right, good morning. Hey, I'm Dave, and uh, we're starting a new series this weekend called Listen, Ancient Words for Modern Families. And then we're gonna begin with a question. What do we do when we don't know what to do? And I've shared this story before, but this is a picture of some doors that I I put in the basement of a house that we sold about a year ago. Um, And I, I made those doors. And now, I'm not bragging that I made those doors because there's something you need to know about those doors. It only took me a couple of years to make those doors. And the reason that it took me a couple years isn't because I didn't know how to make the doors. You see, I have woodworking in my past. I've made some furniture, although it wasn't great. I've made furniture. And when we renovated that house, I did all the trim work in the house. I love that. I love to do woodwork and the trim work. And I did some tile work and I like that. But there was something about this project that was extremely intimidating to me because I had never actually done any work with metal. And for some reason, metal was totally intimidating to me. Like, is it gonna work the same as wood? Do I have the right tools for this? I don't even know if I have the right saw blade. And so because it was so intimidating to me, I I just didn't do it. For a couple years, I was like, ah, I was just trying to figure it out. And, And it finally took some significant motivation in my world to make it happen. And the first thing that was required was that, that um, I came to grips with the fact that I was married. <laughs> I was married. And guys, you know, we can only take so much pressure before we finally cave. And my wife's family was coming. And she's like, I would really like those doors. And there's those things that your wife says to you like, well, okay, I can get away a few more months of not doing that. And the, the, the way that she communicated this time, it was really clear that, that the doors were a priority. And so because the, my fear of, um, I'm, I wasn't afraid of my wife, I want to be clear. <laughs> She's going to be listening into this. Yeah, I wasn't my fear of my wife, but my, my fear around um, that conflict that would arise. And we also had, her family was coming, there was stuff coming up. And I was like, you know what? I, I just, I have to overcome the fear. I just have to get it done. So I do some research and figure it out and go, okay, that's great. I can do it. And so I did it. And, and we installed the doors and the problem uh, was overcome and they end up, they're never coming out, right? They're, they're never coming out. Like, it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing and I overdid it and they're there forever. And it worked out just great. What was required that, that I overcome my fear, I simply had to make a decision. I had to decide. I had to decide that I was going to take a step and actually do something. Here's the thing. Doing nothing is still a choice. Do you guys know who said that? Here's who said that. Tim Bubar. That's who said it. Tim Bubar said that in in our production meeting this week. And in fact, if you hit Google, you can find lots of people who said the similar kind of thing. But, But doing nothing is still a choice. It's, it's choosing in action. And this whole series is going to be about passing our faith along to the next generation and, and doing nothing is a choice. And for many of us, we, we do nothing because we don't know what to do. 
And that not knowing what to do or the fear of possibly messing it up keeps us in this place of fear that leads to inaction. And so in fear out of maybe going, what if I do it wrong? What if I mess up my kids? What if I mess up my grandkids? What if I I mess up the, the people in my world that are part of the next generation because I don't know what to do? So we end up doing nothing, but we have to know that doing nothing is still a choice. We've we've chose to not be part of what God has actually asked us to do. And so this series is about passing along faith to the next generation. No matter where you are, maybe right now, I want to acknowledge, maybe right now your family is you. You, you're, You're your family. Or maybe you're part of a really large family. No matter where we fall in that spectrum... We all, I believe as followers of Jesus, have a part in passing along what it means to follow Jesus to the next generation and the generation after that. And so maybe you're old enough that you're like, wow, to pass it on to the next generation, I got to skip over that and go to the next generation or maybe even further. It's something we're all invited into. It's always been part of God's story that his his people would be part of passing along their faith to the people who come after them. And, and so what we're going to do throughout this series is, is embrace some truths for the month of August. We're going to go through, through some truths that we need to pass along to those who are on the journey of faith after us. And the first one is this. Following Jesus requires embracing exclusivity. Following Jesus requires embracing exclusivity. And the thing about exclusivity is that, that our world does not like that. Our world likes talking about God in general. You can talk about God in general, and our world likes talking about the fact that there's many pathways to God. And, and so if that's your pathway, that's fine. And this is my pathway, and that's fine. You know, whatever you believe, that's just fine. The problem with that is... It's not true. The problem that we face is that the world has utterly rejected the idea of truth, and now there's such a thing that has come to exist as your truth. You get to have your truth, and I get to have my truth, and the problem with that is that's not true. There's a difference between your truth and the truth. In fact, um, here's what you can have, okay? You can have a perspective, You can have a perception. You can have a view. You can have an opinion. You can have a preference. You can have an understanding. But there's something you don't get to have. You don't get to have a truth that belongs to you. And so when you see that person on the TV and they're going, well, what is your truth? What you get to think is that's not true. That's not true. That's their opinion. That's their view. Because by the very definition of truth is, there only gets to be one. It can't be different for you and different for somebody else. In fact, the scriptures teach us that there's a truth and he has a name. God, fully revealed in Jesus, is the truth in human flesh. And as followers of Jesus, that's our message. Not, oh yeah, there's many pathways to God and we're all, it's all gonna work out in the end. That isn't our message. 
Our message is time is short and it requires a decision. And the decision is an exclusive kind of decision that we would embrace faith in Jesus and the world is gonna reject that. But guess, guess what? That's our, that's our story. That we're people who've gone from death to life because we've embraced an incredible message of hope. And the message of hope is better than the world's message. It is a terrifying thing if there's many pathways that lead to a destination. Some may be right, some may be wrong, some people may figure it out, some people may, may not. That, that's a terrifying thing. If you had seven paths to go down, you're like 50% of these will lead to your death and destruction, 50% of them will lead to life, that would be a terrifying thing. But when there's hundreds of options of paths to go down, and you can say one of those will lead to forever, living forever with the God who made you to live in relationship with him, one of those, that's not terrifying at all. I just know the path I'm going to. I'm going to that one. That's the path I'm gonna walk. I'm not gonna choose any of the other paths. I'm gonna go to that one because it's the path that leads to life. The message of the gospel, the message of Jesus is an incredibly hope-filled, exclusive message. And so as we're passing along faith to the next generation, it's really important that we would pass along this concept that that, no, you don't get to have your truth. And so what do we do? We have to develop an environment where it's safe to have conversation. For many of us, here's what we would like to do. We would like to just take all the facts that we have about faith and we'd just like to package them in a nice little ball and just jam them into our kids and have them all of a sudden buy into everything that we believe and then just go for dinner, right? (laughs) Call it a day. All right, I've done my part. But that isn't how it works. We learned in our last series that faith is built over time. Faith is built over time. And that's true for your faith. And it's also true for the faith of the next generation. And so our job isn't just to jam all these facts into the next generation, into our kids, into our grandkids, into the people that we're mentoring, the people that we're doing ministry with and for. No, our job, our role is to be guides on the path of following Jesus. And being a guide is very difficult. Because why? Because we don't get to, to ram stuff in. We get to create an environment where it's safe to ask questions. We get to create an environment where there, that doubt gets to come in and we get to wrestle with it and we get to encourage. And when there's a ditch along the way, we get to go, whoa, don't go there, stop, go that way. To act as guides on a path. The idea of exclusivity in our world, it, it, it's really a tough concept because our world doesn't want to embrace what's true. We want to embrace what we want to be true. And that is going to mean that people are going to reject the things that we believe. But that doesn't mean it's not true. Following Jesus requires embracing exclusivity. So we're going to start this series. Um, We're going to be in an ancient group of scriptures, an ancient prayer of the Jewish people. But we're going to start before we get there in Mark chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible, open to Mark chapter 12. We're gonna be here to begin and then we're gonna go to Deuteronomy 
chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 12, what's happening here is Jesus has been questioned by some of the religious leaders called Sadducees, and they've come to him, and they, they want to have a debate about the resurrection, and, and Jesus answers their, their questions, and then another expert in the law. He, he watches this happen, and he has some questions for Jesus. So in Mark chapter 12, picking up in, in verse 28, it says, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. There's a couple of these interactions like this in the scriptures. In the other one, there's a, there's a group of religious leaders and they question Jesus. And Jesus says, when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, they're like, they're trying to trick Jesus in that interaction. And they're like, okay, well, who's my neighbor? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's your neighbor. This isn't that one. This one's different. And, and Jesus says, um, hey, you wanna know what's important? This is what's important. Now, Here's the thing, okay? As followers of Christ today, there is no requirement. I just wanna say this uh, upfront in this series. There is no requirement that we would embrace being Jewish, okay? Don't have to do that. We don't have to embrace being Jewish, but there's a really important thing that we would understand, and that is Jesus is Jewish. Notice I didn't say Jesus was Jewish. Jesus is Jewish and he will always be Jewish. Some of you right now, your heads are like, what? I never thought of that. Yep, he will always be Jewish. Because why? Because he was born as a Jew. That's who he is. Now, why is this important? Because he lived in a day in which there were traveling Jewish teachers who taught the Old Testament as they went through the countryside that they would have had a school of followers. We translate the word as disciples. And so these traveling teachers were called rabbis or teachers. They, they were traveling teachers who were experts in the law. And what they loved to do was, was to talk about the Old Testament. And they would ask each other questions uh, in, a, in a way that is very foreign to the way we do it today. And, and there was a driving question that they loved to ask each other. And it was, hey, what's the most important thing in the law? This is a common question that rabbis would ask each other. And it wasn't about their opinion. It wasn't about the thing that they thought was most important. It was literally, how do you take out of all the scriptures, which scripture distills down all of God's instruction into a simple understanding? 
We could say it this way. What overriding, overriding principle summarizes all of God's instruction? And so Jesus says he goes to something that, that in the days in which he lived was very common. For a couple hundred years before the days in which Jesus walked the earth, Jewish people did the same thing that they do to this day. If, if, they're, if they're an observant Jewish person, you still to this day, you, report, you, you repeat a prayer twice a day. It's not really a prayer per se. It, it's, it's more a group of scriptures made up of three scripture passages called the Shema. And we're going to talk about that. that. What does it look like for us to take this ancient practice and go, wait a minute, that, there's something there that's still relevant to us as followers of Jesus today, because Jesus himself says, this is really important. If we want to take all of God's word and we want to boil it down into a principle, it, it's this, that we would love God and love people so Deuteronomy chapter six, that's what Jesus quotes in this first part when he says, um, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. He, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter six. And it begins with this. In chapter six, verse one, it says, and this is the instruction, the laws and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded me to impart to you to be observed in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy so that you, your children, and your children's children may revere the Lord your God and follow, as long as you live, all his ways and commandments that I enjoin upon you to the end that you may long endure. Obey, O Israel, willingly and faithfully, that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, spoke to you. Now, at the beginning of verse 3, it's really important. If you're, if you're comparing this translation with maybe you have the ESV or another translation that's right in front of you, you're like, wait a minute, he said obey, but the word here was here. It's the same word that begins the, the next verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. This begins, this, this ancient practice, this word is shema. That's word hear. It means to hear. It, it, we would translate it as listen, only like this. Listen, like that. Pay attention. Hey. For those of you who are school teachers, like, th this used to be a thing in, in another environment where I was. When we would go through training, they would be like, listen. You knew that was on the test. There's a little tip or trick for you. She's going to school. Listen. Do this. Right now. Do this. It's really important. Here, children of Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. You see, the Shema is, it's a group of scriptures repeated twice daily to remind each Jewish person of his or her commitment to God. And it's not, once again, it's not a scripture. It's made up of three passages, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, chapter 11, 13 through 21, and then Numbers 15, 37 through 41 that, that got prayed in the morning, but not in the afternoon. And so twice a day, you would remind yourself of your allegiance. It was an oath. As we go through this series, looking at these scriptures, at this ancient prayer, 
there's a foundational concept that we would buy into, and it's this. To listen is to do. To listen is to obey. It's the same word. In Hebrew, it's the same word. To listen is to obey. There is no difference. Now, as parents, we get this. We get this. Our kids get, get this. I, um, my daughter and I we were having a conversation the other day, and um, you know, now that she's in college, she, she asks more questions, and she was asking me, like, hey, Dad, what's the next series that we're doing at church? And, and I, I love the fact that she pretends to be interested. It's awesome. And uh, I think sometimes she's just appeasing me. You know, I'm like, oh, great. So I start talking about it. Hey, this is what we're talking about. And we're talking about a series called Listen and talking about uh, this thing called the Shema. And, and she's like, mm, yeah, great. And uh, we get to this point. I'm saying, well, one of the key concepts is this idea that there's no difference between hearing and doing. You know, like when I say to you, do you hear me? And, and I said, what would happen if I said, do you hear me? But you didn't do it. She goes, well, there's no difference. If you say, do you hear it? You mean to do it. I said, you get it. Absolutely. As a parent, if you say to your kid, do you hear me? You don't mean, did you hear the audible sound hitting your eardrum? You meant, did you do it? And so if your kid says to you, yeah, I heard you, but didn't do what you asked them to do, there's a name for that. It's called disobedience. And yes, kids, it deserves punishment. If you want to grow up to know, love, and follow Jesus, your parents have a responsibility to discipline you in this moment, okay? If they love you, they will discipline you when you disobey. Why? Because they're passing along faith to you, and you would understand that eventually they're not going to be there, and it's just Jesus, and we have to respond to him, and when Jesus says to do something, we have to then do it, but guess what his parents, guess what we do? Yeah, I want you to listen to me, but Jesus, ah, that's a nice option. I'm not really sure I want to do what he says. He said, love people. I don't really know. I want to love them. He said to, I think that's a nice option. But there's no difference. If we know what Jesus says and don't do it, it's called disobedience. Now, as you go through this week, we're going to encourage you to do the live it out. And this week, what we have done, and for this series, not saying that this is the way the live it out is going to be forever, but for right now, it's, it's formatted in a way that we're hoping that you as a family will be able to do it. That we've, we've kind of simplified it just a little bit, and so that you would be able to have some discussions this week, maybe not every day, but at least one or two days this week, that you would have a discussion. And on the first day, you're going to talk about this concept that, that to hear is to do. And, and in that, you, you'll have a chance to go to Mark chapter 4. And in Mark chapter 4, if you read the whole first section, in your, in your Bible, it's likely going to say that it's the parable of the sower, but it's really the parable of the soils. And in that parable, it tells the story of, of seed being sown on different types of soil. And then Jesus interprets that later on and says, hey, the soil is really the different heart conditions of people and how they respond to God's word. And in, the, in between, between when he gives the parable and when he explains the parable, in Mark chapter 4, verse 9, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You talk about a confusing verse in English. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
But when we understand that Jesus is a Jewish rabbi and to hear is to do, all of a sudden light bulbs start coming on. We're like, oh, this makes sense. Whoever hears what I say, let him do it. Whoever hears and has a heart to respond, let him do what I say. Oh, all of a sudden, these things make sense. So I'm gonna invite you to look in your translation of the Bible, and you may see that it's giving you some options. And so if, if you take your, uh, your English standard version and you look at the end of verse four, it likely has a, a number, number three. And if you look down in the note connected to number three, it says there's some alternate translations. It says, the Lord our God is one Lord, or the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Well, there's some options. And the problem with this verse is there's six words in the Hebrew language that, that for us, it's, it can be a little bit of a challenge. And so it's really important that we understand that, that this verse is not a theological statement. But historically, we've taken this as a statement that there's only one God, a statement of monotheism, that there's only one God. And so the, the beginning of this verse, that it, it talks about the Lord being one. We're just saying, well, that must be a statement that, that there's only one God. But I remember, like, it was, I don't know, 18 years ago, I'm in Hebrew class, and my Hebrew professor is like, hey, let's go translate this verse, and I want to point to you, there's a problem, and likely in your, English, in your English translation, it's not necessarily a problem, but it's just a different perception, and it was the first time that she introduced the idea to me that, that of this idea that this verse is about an allegiance to God. And so the, the translation that we used today where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, is actually from something called the Tanakh. And the Tanakh is put out by the Jewish Publication Society. And, and it's an English translation for um, Jewish people uh, who don't speak Hebrew. So that was the translation that we went with. And, and they used to say that a viable alternative was to say that the Lord is one, but, but they've really come down to say that that really doesn't, in our modern day English, it really doesn't convey the idea because we think as one singular, not the Lord is our God, number one, only, singularly. You could say it like that, that God is singularly our God. We don't think of it that way. And so alone, singularly, is a better understanding. And all of a sudden, instead of being a statement of theology, Shema is an oath of loyalty. And now it makes sense because everything that comes after is if our one allegiance is to the covenant God of the scriptures, all of a sudden that changes things. And so how does this apply to us as followers of Jesus today? This is great if you're a Jewish person, but, but that's not us. That isn't our story. We're followers of Jesus. So let's connect the dots. 
Let's connect the dots. For us, as followers of Jesus today, it's important that we would know that Jesus's name means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. That name Yahweh, that may be the first time you're hearing that, that is the covenant name of God that was revealed to Moses. You, you maybe have heard it said before, I am who I am. It means I am who I am. I was who I was. I will be who I will be. I'm the God who is. I'm the great I am. You love to sing that song. Whatever it is, his name is given to the children of Israel. It's the covenant name of God. And then it's revealed in the God-man, Jesus, and his very name reveals his purpose. In that, what does Jesus mean? It means the covenant God of Israel is the God who saves. And who has he come to save? The world. Yahweh saves the world. That's name is in his purpose. And so for us, as followers of Jesus today, If we really want to take this concept, the principle from from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, here's what we can pray. Jesus is our God, Jesus alone. Why? Because we are Jesus' people. I was talking to our group's director, um, Cindy, this week, and she's like, yeah, so many people don't seem to understand that, that we're not just God in general people. It's God in general. Well, you know, there's God in general, or there's Jesus specifically, and we are a Jesus specifically people. It's not like, well, you have your version of God, and I have my version of God. No, we believe in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, with that, yeah, I want to give you Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Just go with me on this, okay? Yes, one God, three persons, very Trinitarian in our belief, but in that, that we would understand that Jesus is our God. We are Jesus-worshiping people. After his resurrection, when Jesus appeared to his followers, there's a guy by the name of Thomas, and you maybe have heard before of doubting Thomas, and Thomas says, hey, I'm not gonna believe unless I see, unless I see the wounds, man, and touch the wounds. And so Jesus says, okay, game on. He appears to him, and he says, hey, Thomas, touch right here, touch right there. And he said, okay, my Lord and my God was Thomas's response. He knew He knew that Jesus was God in the flesh and he had never been to seminary. He knew it experientially. My Lord and my God, we are a Jesus-worshiping people. And to embrace the exclusivity of Jesus, we actually have to know Jesus. And that's our part as guides along the path to live it out, to put it into practice, to put it into our lives, to have the conversation with our kids, have the conversation with our grandkids, have the conversation with the kids in kids ministry or the students that we're engaged with, to have the conversation, to enter in, to allow them to know what it looks like to know, love, and follow Christ. Now, there's a really popular thing in the world today where, where you have a whole generation that's growing up and they have this idea that they have to deconstruct their faith and then reconstruct their faith. And the more that I read about it, I'm like, wow, they didn't even have a faith that was theirs to begin with. And so when we remake Jesus into whom we want him to be, we're no longer following Jesus, not the Jesus of the New Testament. We're making up a Jesus in our own mind. And that means that what we have to constantly doing is something that's very, very uncomfortable. I personally love it. You may hate it. 
And that is that we have to be on this constant path of learning. You see, I'm a five on the Enneagram and this gets me fired up. You may not be and you're like, wow, now I have to go back and question everything. No, you don't have to question the things that, that the Bible teaches clearly. And yes, the Bible does teach some things clearly. And these are the discussions that you can have in your home talking about what are the things that the Bible teaches that aren't clear. And there's many of them. But there's also things that the Bible teaches absolutely clearly and, that, and clearly, and that is there's one way to life and his name is Jesus. And that we were required to, to embrace that truth if we wanna spend forever with God. So there's current issues, there's a ton of them. Current issues, it's that time of year, kids are going back to school, there's all kinds of current things. There's things that kids are going to face as they go back to school that, that three years ago, Three years ago, we would never have guessed that they were gonna show up in a classroom and be asked what their pronouns are. We didn't think that, how is that a thing? Guess what, mom and dad, it's a thing. And, and, and likely grandparents are like, this is a stupid thing. Yeah, but it's a thing. And so how do we allow a safe environment that isn't like, oh, that's dumb. Nobody will say, well, if your teacher asks you that question, how would you respond? And then take the things that we've learned from the book of Genesis and put practical application to them. And we spent a lot of time in the book of Genesis because the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are foundational to faith. Now, all of, the, all of scripture is foundational faith. I get that. But if we look at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, we spent a lot of time going through those chapters so that we would have a solid foundation to talk about what? The difference between evolution and, and creation? And the answer to that question is no. But that we could talk about that God is the author of life. Think about how many places you can go in a discussion with God being the author of life. Think about the current issues in our world that you can bring that in and go, okay, well, wait a minute. Let's talk about a huge issue in, in this youngest generation, the issue of suicide. And then a huge issue around the world physician-assisted suicide, where if you go to Europe, this is like, oh, that's normal. You wanna choose? Yeah, die with dignity. That's the most important thing. Get a pod. You can just hop in the pod, hit the button, it locks you in and puts you to death. This is a good thing. No, it's a terrible thing. We can enter into the discussion that, uh, about abortion. We can enter into this discussion about transgender issues. If we go, okay, wait, how does, does that view, how does the world's view limit who God was and, or who God is? And how does that counteract the very first sin that we saw that the people committed in the book of Genesis? What was the very first sin committed in the book of Genesis? It was a declaration of independence from God. We don't need God. We can be like God. I'll be the God of me. After all, I got my truth. Do you see how that's out of alignment? That, that every issue in our culture to this day ties back to the same sin, the original sin. I don't need God. I, I am in charge of me. 
And for many of us as followers of Christ, we really haven't allowed that to invade into all of the spaces and go, wait a minute, how do we limit with some of our views on issues? How do we limit who God is? God's ability to bring about transformation, God's ability to bring about change, God's ability to to bring um, light to darkness. There's so many of these issues that are out there that we can make practical application to if we're going, okay, well, wait a minute. How does that view limit who God is? In fact, the world pushes back really, really hard against us taking this approach. It's considered cruel to point to the redemptive ability of God to bring change and transformation. And yet that's the exclusivity of Jesus. Jesus makes all things new. Do you see how the world's message of it's, it's wrong for you to ask another person to change is absolutely counter to the God of the Bible. And this isn't surprising. It's just repackaged. It's been going on for forever. It's just put in a different form. And so our job is to be people who are building our lives upon the truth, allowing a conversation to happen. And, and, and before our kids head off to school, having conversations that are relevant to them. And, and, I, and I'll be honest, I just want to go, that's dumb. How are really smart people believing that men can have babies? These people are brilliant. And yet, you're a bigot if you don't embrace that worldview. And so rather than just getting angry, rather than just, okay, what's it look like for us to have a conversation based in truth? You see, following Jesus requires embracing exclusivity. It requires it. So as we head into this week, it's important and throughout this whole series that we would remember to listen is to do. To listen is to do. And we would talk about that. And, and parents, you have a platform that I gave you just a, a little example to be able to talk about, okay, with your kids, why do you obey me? Why do I require you to obey me? Is it just because I'm the boss? No, it's because as you obey me someday, that obedience will be transferred to Jesus. That someday you'll learn what it looks like to do what Jesus says. And it's hard. I'm telling you, it's hard. It's hard in my world. Say that to your kid. It's hard to do what Jesus says. Because guess what? They already know it. They can already tell you. Don't ask them. They can already tell you all the ways that you aren't demonstrating Jesus. It's not like you got them fooled. You're not tricking them. So just open it up to a conversation. Hey, let's talk about that. So... As you, as you take a look at your next steps this week, the first one is this, to pray, to pray this prayer. Jesus, you are my God, you alone, or as a family, that, that there'd be a couple times a day before your kids um, hop out of the car. Maybe your kids already had their first day back at school. Maybe they're, they're headed back this week. And before they hop out of that car, just say, hey, let's say this one sentence, sentence prayer together. And then just say this throughout your day. Jesus, you're our God. Jesus, you alone. You're our God today. Let's remind ourselves this day. And every day as you begin this week, that you remind yourself of that over and over again. We gave you a a one-sentence prayer last week. We're giving you one this week. Jesus, you're my God, you alone. And allowing that to invade our lives. And the second thing is do the live it out with your family and friends this week. Engage around the conversation. We've tried to give you a tool to to begin with. And then 
The next one is the one that we're gonna ask you to embrace in this moment. And that is to choose to engage. And I wanna be clear, it's not about events, okay? This isn't about events. But what do events do? They give you some tracks to run on. They give you, if you don't know what to do, what do I even begin to do? I walk out of here, okay, that was overwhelming. I don't know what to do. We're gonna give you a simple next thing to do that you can decide as a family, as a, as a parent with your kids, as a couple, whatever it may be, maybe you're here with friends and you're gonna decide to do something together that you go, you know what, I, I can do more than nothing. I can do more than nothing. I, I at least can do one of these things. And maybe your decision is gonna be, hey, this week we're gonna get together for dinner on Tuesday night and we're gonna decide to do something. What's, what's a simple next step that we're gonna do? Well, Tuesday night, we're gonna, we're gonna go out for pizza and make that decision. Or maybe in this moment, maybe in this moment, the Holy Spirit's working in you and says, you know, what? There's, there's some good options. And so we have some things that are coming up. We have a Hearing God workshop that's gonna run for three Wednesdays in August. You've heard about the concept of hearing God, but what's that look like in a practical kind of way? Or we, we're, we're calling us as a church family to engage in seeking God together around the vision that he's given us on some all-in prayer nights. The first one's coming up in September. And then we're asking uh, moms and dads, uh, those people who are married, couples, to, to come together and, and do a marriage night in September. And then there's a Serve Saturday coming up at the beginning of October. And there's a, a grandparenting summit that's gonna happen via simulcast in October. There's, there is a next step. No matter where we are in the journey of faith, there's a next step that we can take that we can invite others to come on this journey with us that we can do something. Maybe, maybe here on Harrison Lane, it's a well, or maybe, maybe you're like, hey, I, my kids, they haven't been part of student ministries. And so one of the things that we're gonna do is I'm gonna ask you to be part of middle school ministry. I'm gonna ask you to be part of high school ministry. And then not just say how it went, but hey, what, what's God teaching you right now? What did God teach you today? And we're gonna talk, we don't have to get all the way there this weekend, throughout this series, there's gonna be an opportunity for us to talk more about what that looks like as you walk out of here and your kids have been in kids ministry. What's a conversation you can have? What are the resources that are there? In this moment, I'm gonna ask you to actually have the conversation with each other. And so we're gonna take a minute to give you a chance to talk to each other, to, to, to ask God to either say, hey, we're going to decide this week or we can decide in this moment, what's one practical thing that we're going to commit to that we're gonna put on our calendar and we're gonna engage. And so I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and do that now.
what we're going to do now is we're going to respond in worship. The Jesus that's invited us into an exclusive relationship is worthy of our worship. And so no matter what venue you're in, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand and let's worship together. Jesus, we need you in this moment to guide us in our worship. Amen.